Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Thanks, so glad to be with you. I'm Chip Freed, lead teaching pastor at Garfield Memorial Church. Uh, we're glad you're tuning in. I got a little Facebook message. Somebody said, we're worshiping with you from Brazil. So that is really cool. We don't know where you're at right now, but we know God is with you. And if you're in your homes, we got a few folks that have come in uh, as, as uh, we're uh, socially distanced and allowing folks to come back in to help us lift up this worship to you today. So there are more than just those of us on stage praying for you. And we're so glad that we can be together. We're in this teaching series called Planted. And what we're dealing with is the fact that we believe that in this season, God is preparing us, okay? I don't believe God willed a global pandemic, but I do know that in all things, God is working for good. God is teaching us. And there's something for us to learn right now. I, uh, I was with a, uh, uh, I hope you tune into our face on Fridays at five o'clock. Uh, we've got some national leaders coming in and, and sharing some things. And I was with Daniel M., Uh, a few months ago from Edmonton, uh, Canada, and Daniel said that there was a hashtag going around social media that said, don't waste your quarantine. Like, this is a good time to refocus and reflect. And I believe that God is calling for us, um, the people of God, to be out there in new and incredible ways. But I'm concerned that we're not prepared for it. On Friday... Uh, we had on Faith on Friday at 5 o'clock, Leonard Sweet, he's a, I don't think he's ever had an unpublished thought. I've read all of his books, and I crash-read his last one, written in September of 2019, published in November, right before the pandemic, and he wrote this, and I talked to him about it. He said that the current times, listen to this, are going to call, this is before we knew what was going to happen, the current times are going to call for some of the most creative outreaches and witnesses of the church that has been seen since the first century. That's what he said. And he said, if ever the time is right, ready for tilling, planting, and watering the soil, it's now. But best not underestimate the challenge. And watch what he writes. He says, we may be the least formed and worst prepared generation of Jesus' disciples in history facing the greatest challenges in the church. In other words, we've been so caught up in the church is supposed to take care of me, it's consumeristic, it's all about what I can get out of the deal, and we are not formed to plant, to till, to affect what, what is needed in the world today. So that's why we're dealing with Planet, and Pastor Scott and I are dealing with these four weeks uh, the key, Lifeway Resources did a um, major study on what are the four major inputs, like the f- five, there were like 30 of them, but five was a million miles away, four major inputs that they saw in healthy disciples 
that led to an output of faith, okay? Last week we talked about regular worship. And this is not an ego thing. We want you to see all these messages and listen to them. So if you didn't listen to that, okay, go back on On Demand this week and dig into it. I I got some texts this week to say, hey, the way you describe worship, I don't think I've ever done it. I think I just went to church, right? So we want to talk about this. And today, it's going to seem so basic. The second input, and these are not weighted. They're like, if you've done ministry by strengths, no strength is better than the other. They're not weighted, they're not ranked, but the second one is reading the Bible, reading the scriptures, okay? So you're like, okay, Chip, go to worship, read the scripture. You sound like a Pharisee. I'm going to try not to. And here's the deal. I, I, I don't, I'm not, here's two things I want to dispel. I'm not talking about reading the scripture like, okay, everybody go out today, get your, you know, get your phone out, start an app. Read the Bible from cover to cover in 365 days. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's actually nothing really right with that either. Okay? This isn't just a volume of information. I've been saying all week, this is not about just reading your Bible. This is allowing your Bible to read you. This is about engaging the scriptures through the Holy Spirit. This is the living word the Bible talks about, right? Where God can argue with you. Does God ever contradict you? If, if God doesn't, you're, you're worshiping a God that you made, right? The, the God that I serve, he contradicts me. He tells me I'm wrong. He tells me I'm voting the wrong way. He tells me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following the wrong things. He's challenging me. And that's the engagement that we're talking about now with the Word of God. Not just reading a bunch of words. Oh, my gosh, I've never read Ecclesiastes. I can't get into heaven. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about engaging the scriptures that God has left for us. And the second thing I want to let, let you know is, I mentioned last week I had the privilege to study under Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, piv- pillar of the civil rights movement. We lost some icons last week. Dr. Taylor was one of those. He went home to God in 2015 on Easter Sunday. I, I got the privilege to talk to his son afterwards. I said, if anybody should go home on Easter, it should be Dr. Taylor. And Dr. Taylor, uh, we were, he came to Princeton when I was there, uh, and he came to do a doctoral level in, in preaching, and all of us had to apply because he was only going to take 15 people. And so we all applied, and when we got in, the 15 out of the 400, we all walked in there like the princes and the princesses to go be with the king. So on day one, you know what he did? He humbled us into the dirt. He said, hey, did you preach anything last week that you, you were proud of? Several people said, yeah. He said, I hope by this time next week you'll be ashamed of it. Because wow. being great is God's business. Being the best we can be is our business. So he humbled us into dirt. On lecture number two, when we walked in with all our egos gone, we walked in and, okay, millennials, hang in there with me. I know we got some children here today. We had something called a blackboard, okay? There was chalk. Now, not just on the sidewalk, we actually wrote it on a wall. For Gen Xers, that became whiteboards. For Millennials, that became smart boards. Deal with it with me for a minute. The point was, we walked in and on the wall, the board, were all these little W's. W, not www, dot, that was even before then, I'm old. But little lowercase W's, thousands of them, all across the front of the board. And we sat down, we wondered, what's up here? And Dr. Taylor said to us, these are the words of scripture. These are the words. These are what is in your Bible. And he said, let me show you something. He took the the chalk and he wrote this giant W, 
like bam, 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 bam. This big W across all these little Ws. He said, that's the word within the words. And it's our job as theologians, as people who mine the scriptures, of people who preach God's word, to go through the little words and find the word. In the beginning was the word. <laughs> and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things came to being. Here's what I'm going to warn you about when I'm talking about reading your scripture. Don't get lost in the weeds. Don't get lost in the words. We get people that get hung up on issues that are spoken about five times in all of scripture. Dig in for the word within the words. Do you know that in the racist South during slavery, there was never one recorded sermon from the book of Exodus? Not one. Because who's going to preach about the greatest jailbreak of slaves in a situation of slavery? They were missed. They were, they were good on the words, but they missed the word. So this is a call for us to dig deep, to allow the scriptures to engage us and challenge us as it leads us to the word within the words. So I got a crazy scripture today. I got 20 minutes. Crazy scripture I went to. Like, you'd think if I was teaching you, read your Bible, I'd go to the Ten Commandments, or I'd go to some law that says you better read this. I'd go to Timothy, all scriptures inspired. No, I wanted to go where I saw how Jesus dealt with the words. And here it is in, in John chapter 13. This is at the end of his life. He's in the upper room, okay? John 13 through 17, all scholars will say, is Jesus' discipleship training, He's training his disciples before he's ready to leave planet Earth. He's training them, so good for preparation, good for planted, on how to go out and do what? Be his representatives in the world. Do you know that's what being a Christian means? It's not getting all the doctrine right and everything. It's going out and being an ambassador for a different kingdom. So you thought being a Christian was being a Democrat or being a Christian being a... No, being a Christian is living out to the world saying, I'm not running for anything and my allegiance is to a different kingdom. I'm modeling my king, my country. Paul said, you're a colony from heaven. Don't, don't worry about whatever temporary country you're living in that's gonna go away anyways. In three billion years from now, we won't remember. But be part of this kingdom-building enterprise. And he's teaching them. And in John 13, when he starts it, I love it, the first 17 verses, what does he do? He washes feet. Before he says anything, he illustrates it. And then he says to them, as I have washed your feet, so I want you to wash others' feet. But then he said, but not all of you will. Because there's one here whose heart I have not captured. There's one here who I have poured my life into who has not heard. But then he says to them, I'm not referring to all of you, because I know those I've chosen. Watch this. But this is to fulfill the scripture. The one who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that. If you ever see a so that in the Bible, it's called a henna clause. It's this is going to potentially happen so that something else will happen. That's why diversity is so important to Garfield that we represent Revelation 7-9 because Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, I want them to be completely one so that the world will know you sent me. And he says, I'm telling you this scripture now so that when it happens, when you think you're at a dead end, when you're sure God has abandoned me, because it's going to happen in a few days. 
I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. You're going to think, why did I sign up for this in the first place? But I'm teaching you this was to fill scripture so that when it does happen, you will believe. Ooh, that's good. That I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sends me. And he continues to go and talks to them about someone will betray, and they all say, is it I? Now, why I'm dealing with this is because it shows us how Jesus engaged the Word of God. Now, his scripture, you all know, was the Hebrew scriptures, right? The Old Testament. He did not have the Gospels or the Apostles' teaching. Okay, so the New Testament wasn't even in there. He's leaning up on the, on the law and the prophets and the Psalms, and, he, and he's believing what God had done that, that there, was, there was something occurring that was God was architecting. And so three things I want to try to say in 18 minutes here. One, for Jesus, the words, the word, not just the words, but the word was his guiding compass. Second thing, it was one life-changing story, lasting lifeline in adversity. So let's start with this, that, that, that for Jesus, the scripture was a guiding compass, I'm a nutty fisherman. I love the boat. Uh, my wife and I got away a few weeks ago. We didn't want to be around anything that walked on two legs. How many of you feel that way right now? I just, I just didn't want to be around people. Like, I, I wanted to be on a lake, and we went out there, social distanced ourselves on the lake. I made boater, fishermen, all this. Um, and my dad, who was a Marine, taught me very young about um, leaning on your compass, he used to intentionally, I was up fishing in Canada when I was four. I've actually guided people into the Northwest Territories, and none of it. I got caught in a blizzard on July 4th. That was fun. Um, up in the Arctic Circle. But I, I, I've learned, he used to get me lost on purpose and hand me a compass and hand me a chart, whether it was on water or in the woods, and said, now find your way back. And I learned the importance of a compass, right? When I was sure I was going west... But the compass said you're going east. Well, my dad used to say, when you think you're right and the compass says you're wrong, guess what? You're wrong. That's why Amos, if you read the prophet that went down to Israel and said we're all messed up, he held a plumb line out. He said, there is a witness of what God has done. And that's why during slavery they never preached on Exodus. Because if you preached on Exodus, you would know slavery is absolutely uh, devious, like it's, it's impossible. Like there's a witness of what God has done in Scripture. There's a witness of how Jesus lived his life. There's a witness about what God is up to in the world for, for loving God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know, and, and when we lean up against that, oh my gosh. It wipes out all these walls of division, which they're already wiped out. The Bible says Jesus tore down those walls. We just need to live in them. I'm so sick of people saying, tear down the walls. They're down. Just live in them. There's a witness, right? And Jesus lived according to it. Read Matthew 26 when they came to arrest him. Peter took out his sword, remember? He's going to fight back. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, memo. If I ask my father right now, I could call down 12 legions of angels. A legion is a thousand. He's like, I could call down 12,000 angels. I bet they could beat up these 11 people that are coming to get me. But he said, but put your sword away. Because watch this. How would the scripture be fulfilled? And then in Luke, when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and all his disciples are saying, don't go. They don't like us. They're going to hurt us. Jesus said, yeah, but I must go 
so that everything that was written about the Son of Man may be fulfilled. And in Mark 14, I love it, when they came after him, they came to arrest him, Jesus said this in Mark 14. He said, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't arrest me? Like, like I was all, I, you had all these opportunities. Why are you coming out here at 3 o'clock in the morning? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But, let the scriptures be fulfilled. Do you see, Jesus is just he's submitting himself to the direction of what God is up to. You know how that will change our lives? I don't get this pandemic, and I don't understand what's happening, and my relationship messed up. But you know what? God is at work. He allowed it to be his guiding compass. And the second thing that happened was he, he knew the scriptures as one life-changing story. See, here's, Jesus read the scriptures different than the preachers. Jesus read the scripture different than the Pharisees. You know how the Pharisees read the scriptures? Anybody do jigsaw puzzles? One person. All right, I got you, bro. One per- my wife and, and my daughter love jigsaw puzzles. If you ever done one of those, what do you do? You take a jigsaw puzzle, it's like a thousand pieces, right? You dump it out on the table, and then you look at the box, and you try to put those together to look like that. See, I have no patience for it. Because I, I, my strengths, if you've done ministry by strengths, I've got achiever activator, which means if I start putting them together, I need to finish it. Like, you'll be there for 77,000 hours, right? Like, my, but my wife and I, see, the Pharisees read the scriptures based on the pieces. The pieces were poured on the table, and they said, oh, there's this law, and there's this rule, and there's this thing, and that's what we must do, Right? And they missed the picture. Are you hearing me? There's two ways to read the Bible. I want you to understand. Here, if you don't hear anything else today, two ways to read the Bible. One, it's all about you. Two, it's all about him. I love in Luke 24 when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. He's been raised from the dead, and they're all confused. And he says, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets, all this written, right? Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer all these things before ending glory? Watch this. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's the Bible he had. He began to interpret to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. See, it's either all about you or it's all about him. If it's a bunch of rules, I gotta follow this rule and I gotta make sure I'm living this way and I gotta make sure I'm doing these things, it's all about you. You're just checking the boxes so that God will accept you and love you and you're, you're in charge. But if it's all about him. See, if you read the story of David and Goliath, right, and it's all about you, What's, that's how the Pharisees read it. They loved the rules. They loved the laws, right? And they read David and Goliath. What does it say? What's the more? If you read it like Aesop's fables, what's the message of David and Goliath? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. So just hang in there, and you can do it. How's that working out for you right now? That'll crush you into the dirt. But if it's all about him, and here's scrawny little David what did the Bible say about Jesus? He had nothing accounting for him that we should even view him. And here's scrawny little David out against, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and the Philistines who were going to take over Israel. They were the first people that figured out how to turn weapons into iron. They were formidable. But now, if David wins, we win. 
without even lifting a finger. And David goes out and he beats the, the Goliath. But if that's telling me all about him, not all about me, then I understand there's a true and better David who went up against the biggest giant of sin and death. And he fought that. And because he won, I win without lifting a finger. Well, what about Joseph? Joseph, you remember Joseph in the Bible? Joseph was betrayed by his closest friends, stuffed him down a hole, sold him into slavery, and then he rose up. God was with him, and he got to the, the right hand of the throne of Egypt, and his brothers came down who did this to him, and he had their fate in his hands, and he wept, and he forgave them, and he took care of them. Let that be your guiding story. You act like that every time somebody betrays you. What's that going to do? It's going to steamroll you. But if it points to a true and better Joseph, who was betrayed by us, his sisters and brothers, that we gave him up, and he was not thrown in a dungeon of Egypt, but a dungeon of death. And he didn't just raise to the throne of Pharaoh, but to the throne of heaven. And when he looked down on us and said, Father, forgive them, they just didn't know what they were doing. See, that we, we're not like the Pharisees. We're not reading the pieces like they're all by themselves. We're reading them like they're chapters in a great story. And Jesus knew that. And he knew what, what was occurring for him what was, was, was a narrative that God was working out. And it gave him hope. Right? See, because if it's about Jesus, there's hope. If it's about us... We're in a lot of trouble. I, I talked to a pastor this week, and he was telling me, well, I just think he was talking about Christian persecution. All this. He said, well, it's my job to protect God. I said, look, if God is depending on our protection, he's in a whole lot of trouble. But if we're living under his protection, <laughs> then there's hope. See, this, this is one life-changing story. And that's what Jesus leaned up against, Right? And when that happens, when you understand, right, that the, Bi the Bible's not just trying to crush you into compliance. Because if you read it like it's all about you, that's what it's going to do. It's going to crush you into compliance. And I'm going to tell you, friends, and all of you listening, it's going to make you the kind of religious person that nobody wants to be around. But if it's a life-giving story, it's going to free you up to live with the fruits of the Spirit, with joy and gentleness and, and patience. In a, in a strong mind. And when that happens, finally, it can become for you a lifeline in adversity. Look how it was for Jesus. At the end of his life, because he knew the scriptures as his compass, because he knew them, the word, not just the words, as a life-changing story that God was up to something, it, it sustained him in times of adversity. Look at, it, look at him walking through the streets of Jerusalem. Those, Pastor Lori's gone with me, Pastor Terry, others, and we've gone to Israel, and you walk the Via Della Rosa. It's a long walk, remember, Lori? Long walk. And we think about Jesus walking that walk, dying, blood in his eyes, thorns on his head, carrying his cross. He was half dead already on his way to Golgotha. And as he was going through there, at one point, the women were weeping. You remember that in Luke? They're weeping, and he looks. He said, women, don't weep for yourself. Well, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. And he quotes Hosea. He quotes Scripture. And then when they nailed him to the cross, what does he do? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. 
And go home and read that whole psalm. He's understanding what's happening. And when finally he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, that's Psalm 31. One scripture said when they stabbed Jesus on the cross, which they did, he literally, almost, almost literally bled scripture. The word of God poured out for him because it was a lifeline for him in the midst of scripture. I promised Pastor Scott I'm going to do this. Um, he's, you know, if you know anything about Pastor Scott, he's a Star Wars freak. He's a sci-fi freak. Um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip back earlier into Star Trek. Okay? I, okay, yeah, I got somebody else from the 70s. We grew up on Star Trek. How many know Star Trek was a failed TV series? But they made some movies about it later until William Shatner got as old as me. Um, and then they couldn't do it anymore. But they made some, and, and you know, the number one acclaimed Star Trek movie of all time was The Revenge of Khan. K-H-A-N. Anybody see it? Yeah, okay. Do that in a movie night. None of the kids are interested. Anyhow. But Khan was this super soldier, right, that the, that the Enterprise, the Star Trek, they had condemned to a planet. And they thought he was dead. He was out. But you know what he did? He started reading two books, Moby Dick and Paradise Lost, both of which were revenge fantasies. Paradise Lost was Satan getting even with God. Moby Dick was Ahab's going to beat the white whale. And he immersed himself in that. And if you remember that movie when Khan is literally dying because he's basically you know, lived this way, and he yells out at the Enterprise, he says, uh, from hell's, let me get this right, from hell's heart I stab at thee, from, for hate's sake, my, I spit my last breath at thee. That's literally a line from Moby Dick. Ahab is shouting that as he's going down to his death entangled with the harpoon lines of his hatred. And, 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 and it, it hit me that when you're really at that level, you're not going to think about what you say. What your heart is saturated with is going to come out. And for him, it was revenge. But Jesus died. There was no spitting at anybody. There was no stabbing at anybody. It was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're hearing. They don't know what they're saying. See, what is your heart saturated in? Because that's what's going to come out at that moment. And that's why I love the little video we did at the beginning, that there's a thread through Scripture. Now, if you were around here about three years ago, I, I shared this in 2017 in the summer. I was getting ready to go on a renewal leave. And I shared one of my favorite children's books. Okay, Some of you weren't here. Many online go, I've just started listening to you like a month ago, so I have no idea what you're saying. Um, but there's a book by George MacDonald called The Princess and the Goblins. I love it. I read it to my daughter. And in this book, there's a princess who lives, she's sheltered in place, okay? Let me put, she's quarantined. And outside, there's a lot of goblins. There's COVID-19, there's racism, there's violence, there's poverty. All these goblins are outside, but she's sheltered inside, and she can't go out around the goblins. But once in a while, her fairy grandmother, not godmother, will show up, up in the attic, and she will go up to speak to her fairy grandmother who gives her words. Anybody understand that Jesus said the Holy Spirit will speak as I speak and tell you all the things I have told you? And she goes up there to listen. And, and she says, Grandma, but I'm so afraid of these goblins. She said, okay, here's the deal. She said, I'm going to give you this ring. She gives her a ring. And she said, in this ring is a thread. And if you ever get totally in despair, you take that ring out and you follow the thread because I'll be holding the other end of it. She said, but it might take you some places you don't expect to go. Wow. 
And so here's in the story, if you read it, one night the goblins get in the house. She's not safe anymore. They're now she hears it. So she reaches under her pillow, she grabs her ring, she pulls out the thread. She said, I gotta follow my thread. And she starts following her thread, and it starts leading her right down where the goblins are. And then she goes out a side door, and the thread leads her down into the cave of the goblins. And she doesn't like that very much. But she says, I gotta follow my thread. My grandmother, she follows her thread all the way down into the cave, and she comes to a total dead end. Total dead end. See, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm telling you this now so that, did you hear it? When you come to that dead end, when you're sure that it's finished, you're going to come to the cross, when you're wondering, what is God doing in my life? When you're feeling in total darkness, trust that God is at work. So she ends up at this dead end and she tries to go back, but the thread doesn't work that way and she can't feel it anymore. So she lays down and she cries and she's beaten and she's dirty. And she said, I guess I'll follow my thread. And she starts to tear down the rocks and the bricks. And before you know it, the wall falls down and there is her best friend, Curdie, who's been captured by the goblins. And he goes, how did you find me? She said, I followed my thread. And Curdie said, let's get out of here. And she said, no, if I had not followed my thread, I would not have found you. So I must follow my thread wherever it goes. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to us. Just follow your thread. It may get difficult. You may be feeling up against dead ends. But if you hear my word within the words and you follow it, let it be your guiding compass. Let it wrestle with you. Understand that it's one story. Don't get lost in the weeds. Don't be like the Pharisees so hung up with the pieces that you miss the forest, right? And know that it'll be your lifeline in adversity. And it will lead you finally to me. So put that in. Put that kind of engagement in. You ready, folks? That kind, I don't want you to go read your Bible. I want you to let the scriptures read you. And let the Holy Spirit begin a new work in you. That's input number two. Let's work on it. Because we don't want you to just hear this. We want you to put it into action. That's what Jesus said. And then we will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? To be made whole. Let's work on that together. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for your words. We thank you for guideposts and a direction. Gosh, for, you know, Lord, forgive us when we turn your words into little, you know, do not enter. Yield. Stop. Gosh, those words are so narrow. May we let your rich word, the word that you said goes out and does not come back empty, that waters, that, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word lasts forever. Let that eternal word, let that greatest story in the midst of all stories, let it change us, let us direct us, and let us lead it home to you as we follow the thread of which you hold the other end. God, give us that faith, that courage to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to do it. Help us be planted like a tree by the waters, Lord, that you might grow a harvest in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen.